The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Bowel cancer is the second most common cancer of both men and women in Australia. Bowel cancer is also known as colorectal cancer and is a cancer that develops in the inner lining of the bowel. And depending on where the cancer begins, bowel cancer can also include both colon and rectal cancers. If undetected, like many cancers, it can be very invasive. So today on MediTalk, we speak with Professor Platel about bowel cancer. Professor Platel is a specialist colorectal surgeon at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco. He also is an academic professor with the University of Western Australia and manages the Colorectal Cancer Research Unit. So we're with Professor Platel to talk about bowel cancer today on MediTalk. So how many Australians are affected by bowel cancer? Bowel cancer is very common in Australia. And I think if we just think about West Australia alone, mm. there's about 1,200 new cases that we diagnose every year. Wow. And somebody's lifetime risk of getting bowel cancer is about 1 in 20. It seems quite high. Has that increased over the years or the actual, we're just better at diagnosing? We are better at diagnosing it. The actual numbers are, are plateaued and the only increase we're seeing at the moment is in young patients, so patients under the age of 50 we consider young. Mm. There's an increase in cancer in that group and we don't really understand why at the moment. Mm. But for everybody else it's static. Okay. And are there different types of bowel cancer? Most bowel cancers are the same type of cells. I mean, 99% of them are what we call adenocarcinomas. Now, that's just a fancy way of describing a cancer arising from the lining of your large intestine. Mm -hmm. And so when we say the term bowel cancer, that could mean rectal cancer? That can mean... Well, I suppose the large intestine can be thought of as two bits. Mm -hmm. It's about a metre and a half long in total, and most of it is what we would term the colon, mm -hmm. which is another way of saying large intestine. Just that the last 15 centimetres of your large intestine is an area that we call your rectum. And the rectum's just a little bit different from the rest of the colon. If I could put it in a simple terms, the rectum's the smartest bit of colon you've got. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it's really intelligent. It's very sensitive. It acts as a way of storing material before we have to go to the toilet. It's able to sense whether it's solid material, liquid or gas. So it's actually really important. So it's the last place we want cancer. Well, that's right. But unfortunately, about nearly a third of the bowel cancers we see occur in the rectum and patients end up, therefore, losing that bit of their bowel, which is the smartest and most intelligent bit of bowel they've got. Mm. And are men or women at more risk of getting bowel cancer? Men are a little bit more risk than women, but it's a common cancer in both sexes. And what about the screening that um, I've seen advertised that you get in your mail at mm. the age of 50, this sort of little yeah. screening tool? Well, 
The screening program really works mm -hmm. uh, and it's a very successful program and it's being rolled out across Australia and it's a regular um, procedure which is done and with screening we see patients coming along with earlier stage cancers. So the cancer is being therefore diagnosed at a point whereby it hasn't really spread outside of the bowel wall mm. and therefore by treating it you have a very high chance of curing it. And unfortunately some people ignore their screening tests and you know recently mm. someone was putting his screening test quietly in the top drawer mm. in his bathroom for probably about six years and eventually got the test done and ended up having quite an aggressive cancer that you think, well, six years earlier would have been A quite big difference. easily treated. Yeah. Yes. And what, what sort of, why did it come about, the Nationals? Because it seemed, have, have we had that program for a long time and it's just not been advertised? Or It, it has been around. I mean, mm. it, you know, they try and advertise it. Mm. And really the idea was that we knew that screening for bowel cancer worked because we had tests which would pick it up. Mm. Um, we knew that if you diagnosed it earlier and treated it earlier, you got better outcomes. Mm. You know, there's no point diagnosing something earlier if you haven't got a good treatment for yeah. it, but yep. we do have good treatments for bowel cancer. And so it, for those reasons, it was decided that this would be a good project for Australia. Mm. So you've seen in your own practice Patients being picked up early by doing that test at home and then... Yes. Yeah. Yes. And when you think that, you know, if you look back, if you look back maybe 30 years, only maybe one in 10 patients who were diagnosed with bowel cancer were actually diagnosed with an early bowel cancer. Nowadays, it's one in four patients are diagnosed with an early bowel cancer and those figures keep improving. Oh, Early bowel cancers are curable. So the more we can diagnose, the better. So what are the signs and symptoms of bowel cancer that we should be looking out for? I think one of the problems is that by the time you get signs and symptoms, things are usually fairly well established and advanced because these cancers actually grow really slowly over the course typically of several years. Wow. And so arise often from a, a simple little um, growth in the bowel, what we term a polyp, which then gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it finally will turn into a bowel cancer. So the sort of things, problems that can cause patients are that they may notice blood on their motions when they go to the toilet. Mm. They might find that their bowel habit has changed, and typically what happens is patients find they start going to the toilet more often. Mm. And a particularly worrying sign is if they go to the toilet and feel like they pass something but still feel like there's something there, mm. is, is a more typical symptom that we see in patients with cancer in the lower part of the bowel, particularly rectal cancer. Okay. And, um, and probably the other really common presentation we see is just people get really tired and weak and, and lethargic and a GP checks their haemoglobin or their blood count and says, wow, you've got a low blood count or you're low in iron. I wonder what's causing that. Wow. And that can be a sign. And, yeah, and that's a very common sign that we see. And so if someone was feeling like that, is it chat to your doctor about could it be something else? Well, um, the simplest thing is get a, 
blood test. And if somebody is low in iron or low in the hemoglobin, um, which is their blood count, then I think having that checked up is important. And how long do you think people should, you know, because quite often you'll hear someone saying, oh, I've been tolerating loose bowel or changes in how they're feeling, like fatigue, for quite a while before they actually do something. What's your yeah. advice when people are experiencing a sign that's just not, they're not feeling themselves, that they really should seek advice from a GP? Or maybe they've got some advice that they're like, I still don't feel right. <laughs> just get a second opinion. Yeah. If you're not happy, if you don't think, someone's looking into the problem enough, you can always get somebody else to have a look at it. Yeah, and sometimes people see different things, don't they? They do. Yeah. And how is bowel cancer actually diagnosed? The most typical way we diagnose it is somebody may turn up with a positive test or they might have symptoms and then they proceed to an investigation called a colonoscopy. Okay. And a colonoscopy is essentially a test that involves drinking some fluid, which is not very pleasant, palatable. <laughs> <laughs> and then under sedation, um, you have a video telescope, a flexible telescope, which is nearly a metre and a half long. Wow. And that's inserted through the anus, the bottom end, and then the whole of the large intestine is looked at. Yep. And that allows us then to see what's there. And typically, if there is something like a bowel cancer growing, you can see it. You can take a sample of it and confirm that it is then a bowel cancer. So that's the most typical pathway that somebody would follow to get a diagnosis of bowel cancer. And how old should you really be having those tests done, those investigations done more regularly in your life? Um, well, I think the screening program says that uh, it wants to start at the age of 50. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, getting those screening tests done then regularly after that um, is the correct thing to do. What if you've got um, a family member? Actually, I was only speaking to someone last week who actually his father sadly passed away from bowel cancer. If you've got a family history of bowel cancer, would you be ha maybe thinking about being more proactive prior to the age of 50? Yeah, so that's the idea of screening is the government concept of screening that mm. it's supported is really for people who don't have family histories and don't have any symptoms. So mm. screening is based essentially an asymptomatic average risk person. Mm. But then we do have other groups of patients in our community um, who have family history of bowel mm. cancer. And we know that an important cause for bowel cancer is your genes. Mm. And so depending upon the number of family members who may, have, may or not have had bowel cancer and the age at which they develop bowel cancer, mm. then we would institute a different screening program. If we had somebody who came along and they said, oh, you know, I'm 30 and my dad got bowel cancer when he was 50, mm. then we'd say, okay, you should have a full colonoscopy test at between 40 to 45, mm. so roughly five to 10 years before their family member got bowel cancer. If somebody came along and said, oh, you know, um, my great-grandmother had bowel cancer when she was 92, but nobody else in the family's ever had it, then that's not really a, what we would term a first-degree relative 
And your risk in that situation is probably the same risk as everybody else in society. Yeah, so it's really worth a discussion. It's worth a discussion. Yeah. It's just trying to work out how many family members were affected mm. and at what age were they affected. Yeah, that's a good point. And what are the um, varying treatment options available now for bowel cancer? Typically, most bowel cancers would be treated with an operation to remove that section of the large intestine where the cancer has arisen from. Mm. Um, and the actual treatments vary a little bit between what we would term cancers of the colon mm. and cancers of the rectum that we sort of talked about earlier on. Um, with colon cancers, typically we just simply do an operation. Mm. Um, we then send the cancer off to a pathologist who will look at it under a microscope and he will make an assessment of how um, aggressive that cancer looks mm. or not aggressive. And based upon that appearance of how it looks under the microscope, um, a recommendation may be made that that person needs, in addition to the operation, further treatment in the form of chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy are simply drugs which can be given either as injections or you can take them as tablets. And they're designed to help completely cure the problem. And is complete cureness, the treatment's very effective nowadays? I think in, in patients who come along and we can see that they've just got a cancer in the bowel that is not spread outside of the bowel and we treat them with surgery, plus or minus chemotherapy, we know that 80% of those patients are alive and well five years after the operation. That's so, so majority of those patients we believe at five years are cured. If a, if a bowel cancer doesn't come back within about five years, we think you're cured. Mm. Now, rectal cancer is a little bit different because it's low down, it's very close to your bottom end. And sometimes in those patients, we don't go straight to an operation. We actually treat those patients initially with some radiation therapy. So x-rays are shined onto the cancer to make it die and shrink down. And to help the x-rays kill the cancer, we also give chemotherapy at the same time. And that's a treatment which typically would run for about five weeks. And at the end of that five weeks, we then stop that treatment. But the interesting thing is that it just keeps working probably for another five or six weeks and the cancer keeps dying. It's amazing. And then usually after about sort of eight weeks, 10 weeks after that treatment finishes, we then do an operation to remove the cancer. So rectal cancer or cancer in that lower bit of the bowel, the bit closest to your bottom end, that smartest bit of your bowel, mm. is just a bit different to treatment for a cancer further up in the bowel in the bit that we call the colon. Mm, so interesting. And in terms of, is there some misunderstandings that perhaps we have about bowel cancer that would be worth clarifying? Well, I think, um, I think a lot of people are worried about their, their chances of being cured. And I think over the course of the last 20 years, we've seen the cure rate go from 40% and essentially double. There's still a group of patients who we see with very advanced cancers. So, you know, there's a group that we see whose cancer has 
spread outside the bowel to other parts of the body. Mm. And that, that is certainly more serious. And, uh, you know, in the past there was not a great deal we could do for patients like that. But nowadays with a variety of different treatments, in particular different types of chemotherapy, even in that group of patients, we're seeing that we can cure a number of them. And many of those patients will go on to live very long periods of time, even despite the fact that their cancer has not been completely cured. Wow. So even having widespread cancer is not such a grim outlook as it was, say, 20 years ago. So we're very lucky. There's been so many advances by the sound there of it. There has been a lot of advances and there's, there's a lot more hope. And I think that is an important aspect. But I think one of the other things that patients associate bowel cancer with is having to have what they term a bag on their tummy, mm. what they term a stoma bag. Yes. And, and there are some patients who do need that. There's mm. some patients who need that sometimes just temporarily for a period of three months to let things heal. Mm. But some patients still end up requiring a permanent bag for the rest of their life. It's a small group, mm. but it is still an issue and that does have an impact on someone's quality of life. Yes. And, you know, I think nowadays we are better at avoiding that for many patients, but some patients still do need it. Mm. Most patients don't need a permanent bag. And what's the future research look like for bowel cancer? Is there some things that are exciting that are worth talking about I've, today? I think that... Um, we're getting more interested in non-surgical techniques for the management of bowel cancer. And I think that within my lifetime, I will see a change to non-surgical management of bowel cancer. Mm. And that treatment will be geared around three things. So we will be able to turn the genes off in the cancer that drive the cancer to grow. We will stimulate the person's immune system to fight and to kill the cancer. And we will use chemotherapy to provide a background to that. These will be quite individualised treatments. I mean, virtually no two people will have the same treatment. Mm. That's the sort of trend we're moving towards. Mm. And then colon cancer might just become this unusual chronic disease where you're sort of, you know, Maybe it's not completely cured, but it's very well controlled. You don't need surgery and you live out quite a happy life. Mm. I think I think that's the future that we're heading to. That's an exciting future, mm. I think. <laughs> and what can we do for ourselves to reduce our risk of, of bowel cancer? Because I think it's really important we all take responsibility and, and know the things that we can be doing to helping ourselves reduce our risk of bowel cancer. Yeah, a lot, um, a lot of patients who have had bowel cancer um, want to know what's the biggest thing I can do mm. to prevent my bowel cancer from ever coming back again. And the most research, the most compelling research, all points towards exercising and maintaining fitness. Wow. Exercising and fitness boost your immune system. We know your immune system is very important for controlling bowel cancer. And we think that's why the link between those two things. That's so maintaining amazing. fitness is really important. It, 
going on to a red meat free diet or becoming a vegan um, mm. doesn't have the same impact as exercising. as exercising. So when you've got a patient here who perhaps has led a more sedentary lifestyle and maybe yes. survived bowel cancer, yes. how do you? What's your advice to trying to get people back into exercise, or how much exercise would you? They advocate? don't need to do too much. Oh, that's no, good. they don't need to do too much. And I think that um, you know it's been interesting with some recent research we've done, just giving people Fitbits mm. and telling them to walk so many steps a week, mm. not really major triathlon-type exercising. Yeah. Simple things really work. Exercise is just comes out very positive in the studies that have been done. It saves people's lives. And is, is it the association too, they're helping our own immune system? It's, it probably is the explanation. Do we absolutely know for sure? No, but it seems to be... Trending that way. When you exercise, your immune system's boosted and your immune system is very important in fighting bowel cancer. And so when you're thinking about your genes, diet, lifestyle, what's, what's the most um, prominent factor that leads to bowel cancer? Is it y your genes? I think genetic factors are very important. Some people are born with a very special gene that predisposes them to bowel cancer. Mm. Um, that's only a small group of all the patients we see with bowel cancer. Maybe one in 50 patients we see with bowel cancer actually has that specific gene. That's quite a distinct abnormality. Those patients tend to get bowel cancers quite young and they can get other types of cancers as well. And that gene is passed on to at least half their siblings and family members. So. Mm. It can be a common problem in, in yeah. your family. But most people, it's, it's a more of a broad genetic problem, a bit like playing poker. You know, you just get dealt the wrong deck mm. of hands and you think that's not a very good deck and it mm. predisposes you to cancer. We tend to live longer now and we know that bowel cancer is more of an issue as people get older and, you know, the average age at which people get bowel cancer is around sort of 65. Mm. Um, and we do eat very rich diets, which probably contributes to it a bit, but, you know, it's, it's hard to change that. Mm. You know, does being on a, a meat-free diet reduce your risk? Well, you know, there's been a lot of controversy over that lately, but yeah. the latest um, research that's been done on that that's reported has not found a distinct risk. Mm. And studies that I've done here at the University of Western Australia with, um, with our own epidemiology group um, has not shown a link. So that, that doesn't seem to be So diet's not really related. Well, diet is, diet is related, but it's hard to know what aspects of diet, diet. are the most important thing. Mm. Okay, so we don't have to run off and um, don't have to change make radical yet. changes no. to our diet. That, no. That often but, there's a lot of us feeling like, oh, maybe I should be doing this plant-based diet. Yeah. and Yeah, I, yeah and, 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 you know, vegans and vegetarians who get bowel cancer are often you know, really, really disappointed. They say, yeah. I shouldn't be getting this, but, mm. you know, you can still get it. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know. And I think it's really good to talk about it openly so yeah. people don't rush out and suddenly yes. say, well, But I get fit. To, yeah, go and get fit and do get exercise. Fit. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a big message. There's a message, message. for you. <laughs> go out there and uh, do some walking. Mm. So what are some, so we're talking about key messages to sort of finish off on. What would they be for you? 
I think um, screening for bowel cancer really works and is very helpful. And so if you get a screening kit, just do it. Yeah, for yourself. Yeah. And I would imagine that most um, people you treat, if they could look back in time, they would have Correct. They would have yes. done it earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, if, and if you unfortunately do get bowel cancer, then I think, you know, it's important to remember that, that the outcomes in general are very good and a majority of patients are cured. And if and you've yep, got a family history, maybe have a chat with your doctor about... If you've got a strong family history, like more than one or two members involved, you need to go and have a talk to your GP and, and, uh, and look at perhaps getting checked earlier. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Meditalk. I really appreciate your time. Thank you to Professor Platel for sharing his time and knowledge with us today on Meditalk. And to learn more about Professor Platel, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.